The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 159 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin Shelby here. Hi everyone. Just the two of us today. We had some awesome guests on last week. So if you haven't listened to our episode with the Bells on episode 158, definitely go check it out. But today, you've just got the Stanthills. And... To our listeners, if you guys know anybody who would be an excellent guest on our podcast, please let us know. And if you're thinking yourself, reach out to us. We would love to make this the year of guest for our podcast. And even if you're thinking, oh, that wouldn't be me, reach out anyway. We'd like to talk to you. So we really want to really have more people on our podcast this year and just keep our discussion of the Book of Mormon going, but with more people than just Kevin and I. So there you go. There's your invitation. Think about it. So we are in chapter 12 of the Book of Helaman this week. Um, A huge chapter. There's a lot going on in this chapter. Um, I don't think there's a lot to catch us up on. Uh, Last week, we went very in-depth Please go back and listen to that if you did not already. I want to address one thing off the bat. This chapter could be misunderstood as a a chapter that goes really hard on humanity, right? I like to call those chapters doom and gloom. Right, but it's not, and we will explain why. Before we begin, if you want to listen on Instagram to some thoughts of a recent convert, she was baptized in October of 2022 on the Book of Mormon on this chapter specifically. Uh, Her name is at the nerdy LDS on Instagram. So go check it out because we had a wonderful discussion about this chapter as well. Awesome. So starting with the chapter heading. Men are unstable and foolish and quick to do evil. Yikes, right? The Lord chastens his people. The nothingness of man is compared with the power of God. In the day of judgment, men will gain everlasting life or everlasting damnation. I want to pull up something from the Book of Mormon student manual on this chapter. To to kind of address that first sentence there. Men are unstable and foolish and quick to do evil. And it's from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. He said, is it simply unintended forgetfulness or is it a failure of intellectual integrity by our refusing to review and to acknowledge past blessings? We're talking about a people here that have the gospel. It was preached to them. They're ancestors had the gospel you know they're they're not first generation members here the church is established he continues or is it a lack of meekness which requires the repetition 
of such stern lessons because we neglect the milder and gentler signs beckoning us to remember him, remember the Savior, remember the Lord, our God, who's done so much for us. And I think that's such an appropriate, I mean, this this was given by Elder Maxwell in our day, right? But this could also be perfectly uh, spoken by Nephi, and it is in not so many words back here in the Book of Mormon days. Yeah. Very relatable to our day. You know, I love the first few verses of this chapter because if you guys have listened to us for long enough now, you know that I love the phrase, and thus we see, or we can see that. And it is in the first three or four verses of these chapters, lots of little principles that we can learn and that are powerful. And so that was right off the bat, I knew I was just going to soak in this chapter because they just bam, bam, bam happened. So I guess I just wanted to start with reading them um, and not necessarily the whole verse, but just the principles of what is mentioned here in the first few verses. So the first one is, and thus we can behold how false and also the unsteadiness of the hearts of the children of men, yea, we can see but the Lord in his great infinite good goodness doth prosper uh, those who put their trust in him. And then the other one is we may see at the very time when he does prosper his people, gives lots of examples, and then go down. It says, yea, then is the time that they do harden their hearts and do forget their Lord, their God, and do trample under their feet the Holy One. Yea, and this because of their ease and their exceedingly great prosperity. And then the last one is, and thus we see that except the Lord doth chasten his people with many afflictions, um, blah, blah, blah. It said, and with all manner of pestilence, they will not remember him. So I really, we can dive into them. We can talk about them if you want, Kevin. But I love the principles here that basically what you pointed out in the beginning already, the unsteadiness of the hearts, right? The that the Lord will prosper those who put his trust in him. But then when he does prosper them, then they quickly forget. And then talking about, except he brings on the chastisement, they will not remember him. So it kind of just, it's this little pattern of explaining uh, principles of how the Lord works with his people. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, for sure. And of course, we, all of you listening we're no strangers to the pride cycle, right? right? This is found all throughout the Book of Mormon. So this is what this is what we're talking about here. But the question is why? Right? Yeah. And I believe this chapter is crucial to our understanding why 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 do we do that? Because the pride cycle, although it is in the Book of Mormon, it's an exaggerated view of it right almost well span scaling the entire society but we can see these little pride cycles that creep up in our personal lives if i can say something i think that this chapter helped me understand the plan of salvation better hmm. and when we get to the end of the chapter chapter that will make more sense 
But I love the question that you asked why, because in these few first few verses, when you read, you do ask yourself, oh my goodness, why is this happening? <laughs> like, you just can't help but think, oh my gosh, are we really that bad? Right? If you're likening it to yourself, like, is this really that bad? Are we really that forgetful and devilish and all these things? Mm. And you ask yourself why, and that question is answered I think in many different forms in this chapter. So why don't we go ahead and go there? Do you want to go there? Yeah, okay. for sure. So I do want to point out what you mentioned in verse four, right? Mm-hmm. Call, you know, Nephi labeling all of mankind as foolish, vain, uh, evil, devilish, and quick to do iniquity and slow to do good. And at first you think, well, that's not, that's not me. That's not the people that I know. We're not, you know, we're willing to help and do good in, in our society. But the issue is that we're also quick to hearken unto the words of the evil one and to set our hearts upon the vain things of the world, which means that we do forget to do good we do become vain and because of our super narrow view when it comes to our our prideful moments then we are foolish we look foolish if you were able to see it in a more grand perspective even an eternal perspective you would think i was so foolish to be so caught up on that vain thing of this world when I have treasures in heaven, right? That's a really good point. Another thing that he points out is that we're quick to boast, uh, especially, you know, about ourselves, <laughs> mm-hmm. like our pride. And then we're also slow to remember the Lord our God, meaning that we're slow to give ear to his counsels and walk in mm-hmm. his paths. And once again, like I said, I just couldn't help but ask why. And I think verse I would say starting in verse six, I, I started to find some answers as to why that may be. Why are people, why, why can we act this way? Why can I act this way? Why did society act this way back then? And verse six gives some insight into that. And it's really with the first sentence, it says, they do not desire that the Lord, their God, who hath created them should rule and reign over them. And I just think of likening this into our day that we are creating our own gods, our own things to worship. And we think that we don't need somebody who knows all. We're, we're losing con- a concept of who God is and who his son Jesus Christ is. And when we do that, we don't, we don't want them to rule and reign o- over us because we don't, under- we don't understand or we're choosing not to understand or we think we know better. Right. And it's already pointed out in the verse that woe unto them who do not give ear to their counsel. Right. And so it's important to know that we, I think a key as to why this is happening is because we, they think they know better. And I keep saying, we think we know better. It's because I have definitely been victim to this. Right. I have thought I've known better so many times in my life, but Kevin can tell you, as long as I've been married to him, I have said, The Lord knows way more than I do. So I'm going to trust in his path. And I have to tell myself that 
over and over and over because sometimes I forget that, right? But the more I say it, the more I remember it and the more I start to trust in it and the more it makes a difference in my life. Amen. So if I may, this next verse, verse seven, this is where I want to put on my scuba gear <laughs> and go for a little bit of a deep dive. What about verse eight too? Because um, I have some stuff to say about eight as well. Well, go ahead and suit up. All right. And come with me. Okay, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> verse seven, I'm going to read it. Oh, how great is the nothingness of the children of men. Yea, even they are less than the dust of the earth. This is not the first time in the scriptures, even all the scriptures, not just the Book of Mormon. This is not the first time that this epiphany has come to one of God's ordained servants. And then he felt that it was necessary to record it in the scriptures, that man is nothing. Well, what what does that mean? Because... You, you could misunderstand that as being man is worthless, right? Man is of, of, of no consequence. Um, you know, there's no, there's no point to life if we're nothing. But what this is saying, and, and I have my scriptures to back it up, because this is something that it goes back to the book of Moses, right? When... Moses himself said, I realized that man is nothing, which thing I never had thought of before. And when did he have that realization? It was after seeing all of the creations of God. And it wasn't that he thought, oh, because there are so many creations and so many people, I'm of no consequence. No, he saw those creations and thought, how great and powerful is God that he created all of this, and yet he loves me and knows me. Going back to the book of Mosiah, chapter 4, in King Benjamin's address to his people, he went hard on this concept too. He said, and, and I'm actually reading here from the Book of Mormon student manual. And then, but first I want to read from the, from the actual chapter in verse, in chapter four, verses five and eight. For behold, if the knowledge of the goodness of God at this time has awakened you to a sense of your nothingness and your worthless and fallen state. So he uses that word worthless, right? But I don't think that it meant to King Benjamin what it means, you know, to, to me when I hear it. He goes on to talk about this power uh, in verse 6 of that same chapter. He says, if you have come to a knowledge of the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and his patience and his long-suffering toward the children of men and also the atonement which has been prepared from the foundation of the world, that thereby salvation might come to him that should put his trust in the Lord and should be diligent in keeping his commandments and continue in the faith, even unto the end of his life. I say that this is the man who receiveth salvation through the atonement, which was prepared from the foundation of the world 
for all mankind. And then in verse 8, he ends. And this is the means whereby salvation cometh. And there is none other salvation save this which has been spoken of. He also says that neither are there any conditions whereby men can be saved except the conditions which I have told you, which is faith and repentance um, in Jesus Christ. So, you know, oftentimes we ask, where's, where's the Lord in what we're reading? Well, this, the Lord's right here. That's what we're seeing. The Savior is at the center. And understanding that his power and his knowledge, he knows a lot more than we do. And giving in to him, then we can more easily be led by him and not not resist him be prideful that was really powerful i think it's expedient that we do the book of mormon podcast together because i had some different thoughts uh which do not in any way invalidate your thoughts because your thoughts were very powerful and a wonderful testimony of finding the lord in one verse um but mine you know, when I read this, I also read verse eight and that talks about how the dust of the earth moves hither and thither at the command of God, but yet we don't as humans, right? And the concept here that I think he's trying to make is that the dust and humans (laughs) were both created by our creator, right? By heavenly father, and Jesus Christ created the earth. And so there is just so many things here that why he draws this parallel that when we are not worthless, but we are essentially like the dust of the earth in the sense that we need to choose to obey him, right? The dust will just do it, but humans won't, right? And so I think that's kind of where I went there. And we see this throughout many parts of the Book of Mormon. It's in Mosiah 2, chapter 25. It's in Mosiah 4, chapter 20, or sorry, Mosiah 4, verse 2. It's in Helaman 12, what you just read. Um, there's so many things where we read about, you know, being less than the dust of the earth. And that statement is not meant to make you feel like a horrible person. It's just meant to show you that we sometimes do not heed the counsels of God and listen to him as the dust would do it immediately. Right. So it's just something to point out. Yeah. I think Kevin, we talked about this, the next few verses, what is it like nine through 17 Mm -hmm. are a lot about the power that heavenly father has and Christ has his priesthood power and what ability, what you're able to do with that power, if needs be for the, the children of men on earth. Right. And I would say that these verses are really a way that Nephi is backing up this idea, which is exactly what we just talked about, right? Our nothingness in comparison to God, the obedience of the dust, the mountains, the seas, all these things. And he's just, he's giving these examples. That's what I feel he's doing. He's giving these examples of God's power in order to 
make the point. To make the point, right? <laughs> and I love, I love that he does this because did what it was back in Helaman chapter ten when Nephi was given this power, right? And then it uses similar phrasing, similar words to demonstrate the power that Nephi could have, right? I think it even says, if you say it to the mountain, move, it'll move. And it's something very similar here too, where if you say unto the earth, move, it is moved in verse 13. And so it's just that, that connection of this is heavenly father's priesthood power here that we are talking about. And it's, I just love the connection between, you know, Nephi receiving this power and then demonstrating once again, the power of God. So that carries us through verse 17, but in verse 18 and 19, uh, and 20 and 21, <laughs> Nephi takes kind of a different tact. He's still talking about this matchless power mm-hmm. that God has, but I want to read it and I want to kind of explore it with you and air out some of my thoughts. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Now it says, and behold, if a man hide up treasure in the earth and the Lord shall say, let it be accursed because of the iniquity of him who hath hid it up. Behold, it shall be accursed. He continues in verse 19. And if the Lord shall say, be thou cursed or accursed that no man shall find thee from this time henceforth and forever, behold, no man getteth it henceforth and forever. So what the Lord says is what happens. He continues Again, with the same verbiage in verse 20. And behold, if the Lord shall say unto a man, because of thine iniquities, thou shalt be accursed forever, it shall be done. And if the Lord shall say, because of thine iniquities, thou shalt be cut off from my presence, he will cause that it shall be so. Now, isn't that a really interesting way, in my opinion, of saying, Inasmuch as you keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. And inasmuch as you do not, you'll be cut off from my presence. Right? Yeah. It's basically just a a longer, but in the context of God's power over the earth and all the things on the earth, that this law, which he has given, is enacted. Right? And the the last thing I wanted to say, this reminded me of the teaching in Alma, which is that the Lord will have a humble people. Either we can be humbled, we can repent and change, or we'll be compelled to be humble, right? Likening God's other creations to mankind, we are subject to the power of or his power, it's just the same. I like that. You know, I couldn't help on my life with the nerdy LDS on this chapter. As we were reading it together, I actually thought about the specific to verses 18 and 19 about things being hit up, or if the Lord says, you know, it shall be done, it will be done. In essence, I thought of the lost 116 pages of the translation of the Book of Mormon that Joseph gave to, I am blanking on his name. Martin Harris. Martin Harris, thank you, to be taken. Because it says here, 
he, it's it's very clear to me in these verses where it talks about because of iniquity. So we know that the intent from the 116 pages that were taken was not good intent. It was going to be done for wickedness or for whatever it was going to be. It wasn't going to be for good, right? And so I saw this as a, not that this was a prophecy, but I saw the 116 pages as a backing to the scripture, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, they were lost and they were never to be seen again, even by the people who had them, because the Lord was not going to have that happen. And the Lord didn't let it happen. No one can explain that. No man can explain that, right? Like, who? where are the 116 pages today? nowhere right? right they are not found because it was not expedient it was not the lord's will that they were found at least from then until now <laughs> on the recording of this podcast who knows i mean maybe it'll come again later i don't know probably not but i'm just saying yeah it was such it just hit me when we were reading like oh my goodness this is true <laughs> yeah it's a it's a real world uh you know connection to this what we're reading here in the book of mormon yeah Yeah. so anyway just a little thought i had there i didn't really have any verse or thoughts on verses 20 and 21 but i love what you said about isn't this a great way to say you know if you keep my commandments you shall prosper in the land because essentially that is exactly what's happening and nephi in verse 23 he just takes it home he says therefore blessed are they who will repent and hearken unto the voice of the Lord their God, for these are they that shall be saved. Can we back up for just a second? Yes. Verse 22. We talked in the beginning about doom and gloom. This to me in verse 22 just hit home that last sentence in 22. It says, therefore, for this cause that men might be saved, hath repentance been declared. Because that is where I find the savior in these chapters where I find the Lord and heavenly father's merciful plan here, because we just had all these examples of how wicked men can be and how forgetful and we follow our own wills and we can be devilish and carnal minded and all these things. But yet verse 22 is where it hits home that that is why repentance has been declared. Just that, that phrase of it being declared it's there for that reason so that we can overcome that and ultimately get back to our father in heaven, which is why I said this chapter really strengthened my testimony of the plan of salvation. Because how sad would it be if we were just stuck in that sinful, awful state, hmm. right? And so this is why repentance has been declared just so clear to me. And that's why I just, I love that phrase. Hath repentance been declared. So. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we're winding down in this chapter. Only, only three verses left. Nephi, I guess, reminds us that, you know, with all this being said, we've, we know you know, I wish that all men would repent, but we know, he says, we read that in the great and last day, there are some who shall be cast out. Yea, 
who shall be cast off even from the presence of the Lord. And why is that? Well, it's because of their pride. It's because they've chosen to rebel against God. They, you know, the, the Lord, again, will have a humble people. He'll have an obedient people. And those who do not do that, they'll be compelled at first. And then if even after being compelled, they do not subjugate to his will, they have to be cast off. We can't live with him if we're not willing to obey his laws. There is no other alternative in the kingdom of God to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ's laws. Well, I would say there are other alternatives in the sense that there's different kingdoms of glory. You will abide the law that you can live. You're not going to be forced to obey a law that you can't live or do not want to live. Okay. You get what I'm saying? Right. Um, yes. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to say, I th I know what you meant, that in the celestial kingdom. Right. Yes, I know exactly what you meant. I'm just saying there are others. You're not just, uh, I guess, essentially damned forever, right? Like, you can never get in the celestial kingdom again, right? We don't know. We don't know what progression looks like after we are resurrected and judged. This is true. We do not have revealed revelation on that. But I'm just saying, based on our works here on earth, mm -hmm. we are rewarded what we what we reap here. What Correct. we sow and reap here Correct. will be rewarded to us after. I had two thoughts, and they are a little bit long, so just bear with me for a second. My first one was that I have just been understanding this concept lately, only 28 years old, finally understanding, <laughs> but the Savior never leaves. The Savior's always in one spot, welcoming you with open arms to continually turn unto him and repent. We are the ones that walk away from him every time we sin. And that is, and sin is not... You know, we think of sin as this big grievous thing, like, oh, I I, I cheated on so-and-so or I, whatever it is, right? We think of this great big thing being sin, but it can be the little things, like spending your time watching too much Netflix, okay? You're choosing to walk a little bit away from the Savior when you do that. And repentance turns you back. And so I just feel like that is a way to view what Nephi is saying here, that that is why it's from grace to grace that we are continually turning to him because, hey, we are not perfect. I mean, even the apostles and the prophets ha have moments, I guarantee that they realize, oh, I could have turned to him more in that moment, right? And I didn't. Now, my, my second thought was I was on a Zoom call the other night and we talked about being centered on Christ. And when you're in the center of something, you are safe. You are grounded. You are away from falling because you're centered, right? You're not going anywhere. If you were to get tilted or move, 
you have a center to stay ground on or grounded on. And when you start to move away from the center or move away from the savior, right? You're getting closer and closer to the edges and the edges are not safe because you're going to fall, right? Like if you move further and further, the edges will eventually drop off, right? Like you will get away from the savior essentially. And so these edges are not a place of safety. They are not comforting and you're not stable, right? You get moved, you, you're gone because you're going to fall off the edge. And so I think of this in the sense of what Nephi is talking about here, that repentance is, I guess, meant to keep you from getting too close to an edge where you might fall and never get back, right? And And I say never get back. We know it's possible to get back right? Because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But it's better to just stay away from the edges, right? And I just, last example, as I think of the story, I don't know when or who or what, but basically truck drivers were being interviewed and they were asking the question, how close do you get to the edges, especially on mountains where you're winding, right? Big old big rig trucks. How close do you get to the edges, right? And most of them answered, oh, I can get within two inches. I can get within three. I can get within four, whatever it is. But the people that they hired were the people that said, I stay as far away from the edges as I can. And that's powerful because that keeps them in a place of safety. And those are the people they're going to hire to drive their trucks because they don't want the people that are wanting to risk to go to the edge because their, their risk of falling increases. So anyway, this whole concept of the Savior staying in one place and you being centered on Him is so important to understand repentance and then to understand where are the edges that you might be hanging on by and turning and getting back in the center. So anyway, I just, I know that to be true. And I know that if you ask the Lord to help you recenter and get away from some edges in your life, He will help you. Nephi says it here. So I got him to back me up. (laughs) I'll back you up too. Thank you for letting me talk for so long. I know that was kind of long. No, no, I enjoyed it. Well, that's the end of the chapter here. Uh, Next time we are entering into an iconic set of chapters with Samuel the Lamanite and his prophesying, which I'm so excited for. I can't wait. Um, we'll we'll get into it next week. You know, we had planned on having a guest for this episode. <laughs> Her name is Sister Emma Sperry. We thought we timed it right to where she'd be home from her mission. <laughs> She's not home yet. <laughs> She's still serving. So Emma Sperry, we will get you on again, maybe a little bit after Samuel Liam night though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, we we tried we really tried to plan it out but i'm so excited to talk about samuel the lamanite there's so much here and it's going to be probably a lot of uh it's gonna be a lot of revelation but it's probably going to be a lot of parts part one part two definitely because there's a lot to dive into and you know kevin and i like to talk so mm-hmm. anyway i'm excited that's all we got for you we'll be back next week and thank you for listening and remember If you know anyone who'd make a great guest, including yourself, 
please, please reach out to us. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.